What's up, Nana Nation and lovers of the Not After 30 podcast? How are you guys doing? Nation, I love you guys. Thank you so much for all the love and support. This podcast means a lot to me. As you guys know, this is kind of a shoot the shit type of podcast. Uh, this podcast was only ever created to give my friends something to, to listen to and laugh at. And it's caught a little bit of fire. And back in February, the the most the biggest thing that ever happened to the podcast happened. Uh, we won a Canadian Podcasting Award, and I know I I told you guys that I would stop mentioning it, but it is something I'm very proud of. That award show was special because I was introduced to Mark Blevis, who you guys have heard his name on the podcast, but really, who is he? And that brings us to this podcast. Who is Mark Blevis? The OG, the old guard, the original gangsters. Uh, Someone who is in Canadian podcast history. And I wanted to have him on just like he had Brittany and I on. On his pod, one of his podcasts, the Podcast Lounge. You can check that out. We are episode one of the relaunch of the Podcast Lounge. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And I wanted to introduce him to this audience who may not know exactly who he is. And maybe you guys can get a taste of, of, of Mark and... Well, that sounds kind of weird. But you can kind of understand who he is and why. You know, now now that I know him a little bit more and I can call him a friend, he, is, he was an introduction to this pod, the Canadian podcast community. Something that I've been... I wouldn't say working to get into, but... It was it was a podcast community I wasn't aware of. I kn- I know that there's a hundreds and hundreds of other Canadian podcasts out there, but I didn't know there was a warm and fuzzy and good to know community out there. And that's what Mark introduced me to on uh, f- on that beautiful February brisk night in downtown Toronto. And and it since then I I've been introduced to other Canadian podcasters from that evening, Shane's World, Shane from Shane's World comes to mind, uh, of course the Scarborough Dude, and and of course Mark and, and his podcast, Electric Sky, and Mark and My Words, and it's, it was something that I really wanted to do, I really wanted to have kind of a sit down interview, and it's, again you guys know that's not something that we really do on this, on this thread, but it was something that I really wanted to do. I shouldn't say we don't do it. Like, Aaron Chalupa does that every, every time. But this is, like, you know, I have, like, the revolving door of co-host. And I don't really do that kind of sit-down thing like this. And it, it was something that I was really excited to do and a little bit nervous to do. But I thought at the end of the day it was something that I should do because I'd mentioned Mark so many times on the podcast. Anyways, this is a long introduction. I don't want to call it an, a ramble because I just want to explain why we're doing this as opposed to here it is, and you guys can deal with it. This is a fun podcast. Mark was incredible. We deep dove into into his brain and the history and who he is. And um, I think I think I'm going to start a little bit of a of a series of these of interviewing other Canadian podcasters. Uh, we did one a couple months ago with Tim Carr, and that was more of an introduction to who is Tim Carr and the Midnight Owl. Uh, this. Is who is Mark Levis and all the different Mark Levis podcasts. 
and I don't know, I just I just had a fun time. Mark was incredible again. And now I'm starting to ramble. So for everything that you do, you do. But things you don't do, you leave to podcasters because we know what's up. Thank you so much for tuning in, checking us out, and I love your faces. What's up, Nana Nation and lovers of the Not After 30 podcast? I have a special treat for you. Uh, you've heard me reference him a whole bunch of times on the podcast. Finally, on our show, the OG of the podcast game, <laughs> Mr. Mark Blevis. What's up, dude? Uh, it is great to be here. Uh, I feel like a bit of a celebrity suddenly. It's uh, yeah. I feel like it, it was weird be. hearing my name so many times. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely um, left an impression on us, and 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 a good impression for that. Apparently, um, yeah, man. And I, I felt like I had, I got a lot of questions, and usually people who don't reach out but are kind of on our, our Facebook page or Instagram page even reached out like, who is this Mark dude? I'm, okay. All right. Let, 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 like, instead of me just forwarding, uh, forwarding your, your uh, Wikipedia page to everybody, I just like, you know what? Let's see if we Do can Do I have happen. a Wikipedia page? Like, that is an honest question. No, you, you have, um, you have, there is a couple write-ups on you if you just Google your name and okay. then there's uh, your LinkedIn profile and your uh, website. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't think I had a, a Wikipedia page. I'd be shocked if I did. But after this, you may. You there, there, but wait, can I interrupt for just a moment? Of course, of course. I understood there was an alcohol component to this podcast. Oh, and man. I, I, had to do, I had to make a special trip down to the kitchen in yes. order to make sure I was properly stocked. All right, let's do this, my man. I'm going to crack my... You're, so you don't have a beer, but you have what? So, uh, and I know you often talk about really high-quality drinks, uh, spirits <laughs> in your show. Uh, I can't even remember what it is you talk about, but it sounds damn good. I have in my hand a bottle that was given to me as a gift for Christmas by my younger daughter uh, and a completely blown away treat. It is Project XX or Project 20 from Glenn Fittick. Uh, and uh, it's like this special, it's their experimental series, Zero Two, single, well, it's a single malt, of course. Uh, so I'm, I'm a whiskey fan. I, I love scotch. And, uh, and this was a, a nice... I, I didn't even know this was coming out. So this is a, a pretty fancy bottle of... Uh, there we go. Ooh, that sounds good. Let me, get, let me get it on my end, too. Hold on. Oh, as I planned. And I got it on my mic. Hold All right. Yeah. All right. Cheers, my man. So I, hold on. I, oh. I just poured, right. I, I poured myself a little bit. This is the kind of thing that you, you drink sparingly. Yes. So cheers. Cheers. Mm. That is tasty. It oh, buddy. On this end, we're drinking Milton's finest. Uh, my our good friends at Orange Snell Brewers, Milton's one and only brewery, and their classic, the Iron Pig. And if you ever come out to Milton, my man, you are getting laced with me over at Orange Snell. They got a great sit down. We can do the tour. You can check that out on our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good beer. Are you a beer guy or just a whiskey guy? Uh, no, I do drink beer. Um, okay. And I do drink oh. wine. And uh, I don't drink whiskey very often because I, I think it would be too easy to just completely go nuts. To slip so, down uh, that rabbit So, hole. like, once or twice a week, I might pour myself a small glass. Very nice. But I, it, I, to come back to Milton, because you brought it up, and I think I mentioned this when you and I met, my dad and his family, when they were growing up, used to go to Milton for vacations. They would take the train to Milton 
and they would go to the beach. And I think as soon as I told you about the beach and there's like a, a platform that kids can swim out to and jump off of, and there might've been a slide on it and stuff. So we have old, old, old home movies. And when my dad was a kid and his two brothers going to Milton, Ontario for, for like a summer I day trip. Cal- Kelso, was it Kelso? It could have been. I, yeah. I, I don't know Milton at all. And I think I may have driven through it or by it once years that, ago. That sounds like Milton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah I blinked. Like it. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on, on the Canadian historic map, there is a good spot for Milton. It is a home of the Robertson Screw. So screw and screwdriver, and that's a pretty big deal. Ask any electrician out there. Um, so that that's a pretty that's a pretty big feather in our cap. But I'm not a true Miltonian. I'm a transplant, um, but I, I'm quickly adapting to Milton life. I imagine a big Robertson screwdriver at the entrance <laughs> you know, to Milton. Welcome to Milton, home of the Phili- or the Robertson screwdriver. You know, it, it's it's not like Sudbury where there's a giant nickel that everyone comes to visit and take pictures with. I, I have a feeling that that screwdriver would look, end up looking like a dick within a couple of days of it going up. So I'm pretty sure that that's, uh, that wouldn't be happening. But um, anyways, wow. So strong turn on this podcast already. Yes, yeah, so that's right. You, you're an Ottawa native, always been, always have? Born and raised in Ottawa. I lived in Thornhill for a lifetime of six months. <laughs> All right, right on. Just because? Uh, well, the, there's a longer story to it, but essentially my girlfriend at the time lived, it was going to York and I decided I, I wanted to be closer to her. Um, uh, and it's kind of funny because at the time I think our, our relationship was starting to fatigue mm-hmm. and being in Toronto just kind of helped drive the nail in the coffin for the relationship. And by the, by the time the school year was done and we were both heading back to Ottawa that was it. It's like it's, it coincided with the with the end of our relationship. Okay. So Ottawa, home of the senators, for now. Well, <laughs> Parliament. Uh, do we want to talk? And see, I'm not a big hockey fan. I'm more of a baseball fan, and I'm already I'm still suffering from the fact that the Expos no longer exist. Um, oh, you're, so, you're a baseball fan, but an Expos fan. But an Expos fan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I would say I was a baseball fan and an Expos fan. But, uh, yeah, and I worked for the Ottawa Lynx one summer, which was pretty amazing. It was the championship season of 1995. And, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I don't really follow hockey, and I don't really follow baseball very often, but I tend to watch the odd game still. Right on. So, but why an Expos fan and not a Jays fan? Just closer, I guess? Well, and that's an interesting question because when I grew up, my uncle, my who was my hero, who died actually, what is it, what is today? April 11th. So it was around this time that he was tanking. He had pancreatic cancer and died April 26, 2012. So he was my hero growing up, and he got me into the into baseball. He used to take me to Exhibition Stadium when I visited him in the summer. Well, him and his and my aunt and, and cousins. And those were in the days of Ernie Witt and Mookie Wilson and those guys. Totally. And so I, I you know, I, I really got into baseball. I, I'm not sure what it was exactly about the Expos. It might have been that they were closer, so it was easier to go to a game. Or it could have been that uh, I kind of, even as a young kid, liked the idea of the pitcher batting for himself. It made yes. the game more interesting. And so the Jays were always on my radar, but the Expos were my team. Okay. And actually, you know what, there, there's something else, and it just occurred to me now, and I've known this, but it, it kind of just popped into my head. My mom's cousin worked for Donald K. Donald. He's a lawyer. 
if you don't know, Donald K. Donald is like the concert promoter. And he also had affiliations with the Expo. So he did a lot of, he was like an entertainment lawyer. And uh, so he, he was brought in a lot on, on some of these things. In fact, I, I remember calling him up once and this guy answered the phone. I said, my, my mom's cousin's name is Cookie. I said, is Cookie there? He goes, no, man, he's not, not in right now. I said, who is this? He says, Pete. And I didn't really you know, think anything of it. I said, okay, well, you can tell him Mark called. Uh, and I spoke to Cookie. I don't know, it was like a couple of days later, he called me back and said, Pete, who's Pete? Oh, Pete Mahovlich. He just joined the team and, and he didn't have a place to stay. So he's crashing in my place. <laughs> so Very cool. <laughs> yeah. So he was also involved in the expos. And I have uh, on the other side of my, of my office here, at home, I have uh, three autographed baseballs, including one from, I want to say, 82, when Pete Rose was with the Expos. That's right, for that short stint. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then... So, so I mean, we're completely all over the place, but this is what podcasting is yes. all about. So You got it, my man. Okay, so I just want to dive a little bit more into your sport fandom as well. So, allegiance to the Senators, I got to imagine? Um, again, again, for now? If, you know, if, if I have to pick a hockey team, I guess I would pick the Senators. But okay. it's, uh, I, I don't follow them closely. Uh, I went to one game this season. It's not unusual for me to go to one or two games in any given season. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really didn't. I, I knew they weren't making it to the playoffs, and that's about as exciting as it got. Okay. All right. But I and did, then- actually. Um, I went to Bill Dees, who is a guest of episode uh, oh, my episode one, the same episode you were that's on. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So he and I, he, in fact, when he was in town, he invited me to the one Senators game that I was at this year. Right on. I think I saw your posting on that, too. Uh, where, where the building was I mean, I, an eighth full, maybe? I, well, I, to... <laughs> I, I, I played with that a little bit. I took that picture before the game started. Right. It filled in a little bit more, but uh, yeah, there were a lot of empty seats. But right it was on. it was probably about two thirds, maybe three quarters full by the time the game started. Right on. Okay, so are you a rugby fan at all? Nope. Okay, Ottawa just launched. They launched um, a team called the Stags that will be playing next year, and they're actually playing in the English uh, Champion League One. Um, so there'll be a, a, the second ever transatlantic rugby team traveling between England and Ottawa for the games. So that's happening next year in your backyard. And if they're playing at Lansdowne Park, that is literally my backyard. It's about two blocks away. Well, that, I'm pretty sure that's where they're playing, actually. They have a very funny green and white jersey, but I, it's all good. Very rugby. Yes. Um, okay, so where else did I want to go with that before? I can't really remember where I, I kind of had that trailing in my head. But good to know that there are some allegiance to something. The Expo thing I can forgive. I think right now every, <laughs> everybody's kind of, you know, nostalgic about the Expos. But let's be honest, that stadium is horrendous. And they, it, yeah, they should have yeah. gone back to Jerry Park. I think that would have saved them. But. I think that's what everyone thinks. I think that's a general feel. I have a couple of clients who are Expo diehards who believe that was a, the, the play to make. But I, I don't know if that was work with Montreal's overall climate. I guess it worked at one point, but in today's game with the amount of money you're playing, paying these athletes in this climate, you may want to keep them indoors. Yeah. No, I, but it, just to close the loop on our baseball conversation, I mentioned that I worked for the Ottawa Lynx in the summer of 95. And, and I figured out partway through the season that I could show up early and they didn't have any issue with this as an employee of the team. And I could go out and catch well, shag fly balls during batting practice. Oh, very so, cool. 
So always catching fly balls off the bats of, of, of a bunch of people who, you know, probably never made it very far. Uh, but a bunch of people whose names might be known to, to others, like uh, I can't even remember now. Uh, Rael Cormier might have taken some batting practice a couple times, and I actually right met on. him again a couple of years ago. But, um, uh, I mean, people, Bert Heffernan was on the team. I remember catching a couple off of his bat and Julian Yan. Uh, Bert Heffernan never had hope, though, because he was a scab player. So, <laughs> anyways, good times on a Saturday, you know, Saturday afternoon, or even weekday afternoon. Catching fly balls before uh, before the game started. All right, okay, my man. Let's get into who you are. So, I was hoping we could just like maybe gloss over your resume a little bit. I mean, I don't know everything about you, but who are you in the work world? In the work world, I am. Uh, so I kind of wear two hats, but the main hat that I wear is director of public affairs and marketing for commissioners at the national office. So I'm kind of responsible for the the high-level stuff uh, on the comm side, public affairs, uh, I support government relations, etc., cetera, um, for, for the Federation. That sounds like a title that has a lot of responsibility and possibly a lot of fun to it. I love my job. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people say they're lucky they have the best job in the world. I don't know if it's fair for me to say that because I'm sure... You know, for me in, in my category, yeah, it's the best job in the world. But, you know, you might think your job is the best job in the world, too, for different reasons. And that's totally cool. But uh, it is certainly an exciting job to wake up to uh, every morning. I, I don't I got, think there's a day that I've woken up where I thought, oh, i got to go into the office. And I have to imagine not a ton of repetitiveness to the day. I bet you got a new challenge every day. Uh, one of the challenges I face right now, actually, is I go into the office and I have, I've pared down the number of things I try to achieve in any given day. And in the last two weeks, even that list is, uh, it just keeps getting shifted and keeps growing. So, uh, yeah, the, it, it's dynamic. It's interesting. It's exciting. And no two days are the same. I love it. Well, those are days that probably keep you pretty hungry as a professional and satisfied as a professional. One of the things that it really does, especially one aspect of my job, and I won't get into that whole aspect, but it constantly pushes me to think about what's next and, and what to achieve next. So there, there's no getting complacent and going, yeah, I can just stick with this for a while. It's always about staying one step ahead of everything. Right on. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I needed to know. I'm going to check that off my two questions that I have here for you. The second one, and maybe the one that's more relatable to why you're on the on the podcast today, but Mark, who are you in our world, the podcast world? That is a loaded question. <laughs> Let me sit back and take some sips, and I'll enjoy the show. <laughs> who am I? Well, well, right now, I'm just a guy who's excited to be podcasting again. I, I've, I've never really stopped. Uh, I would say that even when I, I took breaks, I, was, I would still consider myself a podcaster, even if I wasn't active at the time. But uh, as I noted in our conversations and in uh, recent episodes of Podcast Lounge, uh, I'm, Pod, uh, PodCamp Toronto re-energized me on a number of fronts. And you and Brittany and Jacob and Jessica and, uh, well, and, and longtime friends, the OGs, as it were, uh, really all conspired to make podcasting exciting again because uh, some holes that um, that existed for a while for which uh, the 
contents, you know, what, what to put in those holes wasn't obvious, came together. So um, I, I guess right now I'm just a guy who's excited to be podcasting again and is keen to, to bring together the podcast community in a way that I did years ago. And I guess that's ultimately what you want me to talk about, right? I want you to talk about what you feel good talking about. Okay. Uh, well, you, you know, in your lead-in, you kind of set the stage for a bit of a conversation. I'm going to try and be as brief as possible. Interrupt as you will. Okay. And anybody who's listening who gets bored, don't blame Anthony. <laughs> Skip this episode and go on to the next one. Don't do it. It's going to be good. I know. All right. So, uh, you know how people start off with stories like, I was born at a very young age, and you're like, oh my God, he's going to start from his birth. <laughs> so, I, I'm not going to start quite at my birth, but I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge very quickly that it was in 2005, I think it was like March of 2005, I was listening to CBC's uh, Drive Time show here in Ottawa, All in a Day. Brent Bambury was the host at the time. And this guy, Todd Maffin, was on talking about podcasting. And uh, it sounded pretty interesting. In fact, when I finished high school, I wanted to go into broadcast communications at college. And my dad talked me out of it. He convinced me that the, the right thing to do was to get into, um, into computers. And I was a bit of a computer nut, so that wasn't a hard sell. But it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I, I went into a computer, and, you know, and we don't have to follow that whole route. But the big thing is that I had an itch that it never got scratched. And then I heard Todd on the radio, what was that, like 15 years later or something like that, or 14 years later. And, uh, and suddenly this thing called podcasting was the fingernails I needed to scratch that itch. So that day that I heard the interview, I checked out who this Todd Maffin guy was. And among the things uh, I learned is he had a, a book, an ebook that he wrote uh, from podcasting to air, or from, I can't remember what it was called now. And so I ordered this book online and I emailed him. Todd actually shared the email I sent to him a couple of years ago. He found it by accident and shared it. It was a horrible email. It was embarrassing as hell. But, uh, and, and Todd called me up that night and I was blown away. Oh my God, this guy on the radio who you know just got me into podcasting called me up. And we had this great conversation. We became very dear friends. We're still good friends. We co-authored a book in 2014. Um, Anyway, so he, he was the introduction to podcasting, and I was instantly hooked. And I think it was maybe 15 days later, I launched my first podcast. I used, uh, it was funny, thinking back to all these tools that we used, there's, um, uh, what was it called now? It was um, Cast, something Cast. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, what's his name? Curry. Adam Curry had created this podca- uh, podcasting tool called uh, it was a, a PC tool and, uh, it allowed you to load carts and fire sounds and record live. And a lot of us used it. It was a free tool you could download and use. So I was pretty excited and got into podcasting. I'm a bit of an archivist, so I don't like deleting stuff. So the very first ever podcast I ever produced is online still. You don't have to listen to it, but it, it brings to mind the fact that anybody who's thinking about getting into podcasting, your first episode will suck. It'll really suck. It'll, but it'll suck less. It'll suck more than your second episode. And your second episode will suck more than your third episode. And, uh, and it's this kind of cascading down thing. And usually when you hit about seven or ten episodes, you start to hit stride and things come together. So it takes a bit of time. 
Uh, Todd was also on a sabbatical from the CBC that year, and he was doing a lot of public speaking, so he was traveling the country. And as he traveled the country, he started to organize these things he called podcast meetups. I think the first one ever was in Ottawa, actually. And it was attended by me and Maurizio Ortolani, who is, I think he's, I don't know his exact title right now, but he's basically head of digital media for the National Arts Centre. Um, and at the time, he was producing a podcast called Swing is in the Air. I, I can't believe my mind is a trap. I've held on all this information. This is amazing. I feel like this you're reading off a note, but you're just going. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting to think back to all this stuff, actually. So Swing is in the Air was something that Mauricio did. I think it was actually he was recording you know, w- w- with permission or was coordinated. He was recording Jacques Mons radio show on CKCU, maybe. Um, Jacques Amon was the head of the Ottawa Jazz Festival at the time. And so Mauricio was ripping the show and putting it out as a podcast. So uh, it was Todd and me and Maurizio, and we met at the Shadow Laurier in the lounge and sat around and talked for a bit. And a few weeks later, it was the first big podcast meetup. I think there might have been one between that first one and then the next one in Ottawa. But it was June... I want to say June 9th, 2005, maybe. And Todd was in Ottawa again for another speaking engagement. And we had a big meetup at the National Arts Center. So Maurizio provided the facilities for it. And Bob Goyetch uh, and his wife, Kathy, and their son, Simon. Um, and Bob and Kathy produced the Catfish Show together. It was a couple cast. And uh, AJ and Interplanet Janet is her name. Uh, so AJ is a high school friend of Bob's and they were producing the Bob and AJ show, which was one of the very first podcasts that uh, came out. In fact, uh, I think that the sequence was the Formosa live at the Formosa tea house. Uh, I think I can't remember who's Todd or Julian Smith was, was second. And then Bob was, I think third, uh, with the Bob and AJ show and then the catfish show followed and he started mostly tunes. And some high school buddies of mine also showed up. So Frank Epton, Jay Westerland, and Ian McLeod. Ian actually podcasted. Jay and, uh, and uh, Frank were podcast listeners. So it was a pretty big gathering. And Julian Smith was there. Um, and he now heads a company called Breather, which is it's this massive company. You can look it up online. So uh, that was the first big podcast meetup, and it was the launch of some, some pretty important friendships and good friendships. In September of that year, there was a meetup organized in Montreal by Bob. It's a bit of a famous one, and for reasons that if, if we start to go down that route, we'll be here for a couple of hours. <laughs> All right. But it was at that meetup that Bob and I conceived of the idea of doing the equivalent of the daily source code for Canada. The daily source code... I don't know how much people know about podcasting history, but the Daily Source Code was one of the first ever podcasts. It was Adam Curry, and he put it out every day and it was basically the state of the, the world in podcasting. He, he would talk about his life. He'd talk about the podcast he's listening to. He would promote podcasts. People would send in clips and comments, and he'd play them. And he was using this tool that I was talking about. I couldn't remember the name of before. Uh, Cast, Cast Blaster. That's what it was called. All right. You got it. Yeah. So you look out, look all these things up. It's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, so he was using Cast Blaster and uh, doing this podcast, and and it was it was meant to kind of create a podcast movement. And Bob and I realized that what we really lacked was something in Canada that would bring together the Canadian podcast community, 
help the podcast community, promote Canadian podcasts, and introduce podcast listeners to new content. So we conceived that, and over the course of the next few months, we would get together routinely on Skype and talk about how we would do it and the format and all that. And in December 1st, 2005, we launched the Canadian Podcast Buffet. So uh, that was kind of the start of a podcast movement that we created. And it was about a month later because of the energy behind that one podcast that was coming out weekly. And it was very scripted in the early days, uh, probably because I pushed it that way. And eventually, I, I think Bob probably thought it was a bit of a tight ass for, for wanting it so scripted. But uh, you know, eventually I loosened up and, and the show really hit stride. We, um, Bob had suggested that we organize a podcast meetup and, and we talked about where we might do it. We agreed Kingston was kind of mutually inconvenient for everybody. So <laughs> Ottawa wasn't favored. Toronto wasn't favored. Montreal wasn't favored. Uh, everybody would have to go out of their way to get to it. And uh, the way he tells the story, um, uh, I said, well, a meetup you know, a little camping get together isn't good enough. Let's organize a conference. So we organized a conference called, uh, originally called podcasters across borders and eventually became PAB. And the first of that was in June of 2006 and it ran for well seven editions. So six years. Um, we wrapped it up in 2012 and it was an amazing event that really brought together the Canadian podcast community. People came up from the States. Somebody came from Europe. Um, this guy came from Argentina uh, so it, w- it was a real movement and there was, it was a, it wasn't just a conference that people attended to learn stuff. It really became a gathering of like-minded people who, it was like the family they chose and, and the deep friendships that emerged from it. Cause it was intentionally kept to be a small conference of 120 max. I think that was the biggest year we had was 120. So we fluctuated between 80 and a hundred mostly. Can I jump um, in for a sec, Mark? Please. Yeah. Uh, so what was the state of podcasting globally right now? Had had um, maybe celebrities, had, had they gravitated at this point to podcasting? Or was it still kind of you had to know to know culture? I think you had to know to know. Certainly podcasting had its own celebrities. You know, Adam Curry being one, uh, Dave Weiner being another. Uh, there was the rock and roll geek, uh, Michael. Oh, I can't yeah. remember his name. There's Madge I used Weinstein. to listen to that. Oh, my God. Oh, is he, is he still producing the Rock and Roll Geek Show? No, I, you know, I haven't listened in years, but that was one that I started listening to early on that I totally forgot. I love that logo, the logo he had yeah. with the, the cross guitar. Oh, yeah, I totally remember that. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. That was right off my radar. Yeah. And, and Madge Weinstein was another one. And, uh, yeah, so there's a, there a whole bunch of really uh, – well-established or, or famous. Well, and then there was, um, what's his name? Dan class was another one. And Michael Gohagen was another one. Yeah. You know, it, 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 there was a whole bunch of, and there's the Don and Drew show. It's funny how all these things are popping into my head. Suddenly I could just list off names forever. <laughs> so, um, so podcasting had its own celebrities. I don't think many celebrities had embraced it at that point. If there was one, it would be, and his name escapes me at the moment, the guy from clerks. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, thank you. He might have been one of the early adopters, and then probably not far behind him was uh, Will. Uh, oh, his name escapes me from Star Trek. Oh, uh, Crusher, the guy who played Wesley Crusher. Right. I I don't know his name offhand. Yeah. So I I think they were probably two of the early celebrities to get involved in podcasting. 
Um, but, you know, that, that's 2005, 2006 kind of time frame. I don't think many celebrities really embraced it until, you know, maybe 2007, 2008. And definitely after Serial. After Serial, podcasting was born, apparently. So that's when <laughs> yeah. everybody got excited about it and started doing their own shows. Yes, if you, if you ask some certain people at the CBC, that would be what, it, what, what happened. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so PAB was a big thing and the Canadian podcast buffet. Um, I want to say that, uh, we, we had a, a loyal and dedicated following. We got comments and emails and audio comments all the time. Um, and, and it was pretty amazing. Now, Bob was a kind of a celebrity in his own right as an early podcaster. And he had the other shows, catfish show, uh, Bob and AJ show and, and mostly tunes, which were huge shows. I had my own show, which was popular, but probably small by comparison. And then there was, after the very first PAB, and my wife attended as the supportive spouse, and uh, as did other spouses, including uh, Vivian Vasquez, who attended because her husband, Andy Bilodeau, um, was a podcaster. They came up from Washington for it. Andy's actually Canadian. And so uh, he was kind of entrenched in the Canadian podcast community. Vivian came up. And there were a few others, but these two come to mind, which is after the first PAB in 2006, it launched several shows. So Vivian started her Clip podcast, which was the critical literacy in, in practice podcast. She teaches at American University, I think it is. And she teaches literacy and early childhood education or something. I can't remember exactly. But that was a podcast that came out of it. And the other one was my wife, Andrea, suggested that we do a podcast about children's books. And it was the podcast. So Canadian Podcast Buffet made me and Bob kind of media go-tos. Well, media darlings, I guess, maybe is a good word for it. Every time there was was a story about Canadian podcasting or podcasting in general out of Canada, Bob and I were the ones who were contacted by the media. So we were, you know, in CBC and CTV and La Presse and, you know, you name it. We were all over the place. Um, and then Just One More Book kind of launched Andrea and me into a new stratosphere. Um, and you know, I'm not saying this to gloat, but one of the things that we benefited from is we were one of the, I think we were one of the very first children's book podcasts. And we took a very different approach from the other two that existed at the time. Um, and we built a, a huge following. In three and a half years, we served, a, I can't remember exactly what it was, I should look it up. Hold on. Do I have my browser open? I, I created a blog post because we shut it down. In, it, the site is still up, but we shut down the podcast in 2000. Jeepers. Come on. In 2009, my wife had been, uh, had found a lump in her breast and, and we were, there was a specter of uh, cancer diagnosis, which eventually came, that was hanging over our head and, and we were just maxed out. So we shut the podcast down in September 2009. Uh, the podcast was called Just One More Book. It was a podcast about the books we, children's books we love and why we love them, recorded in our favorite coffee shop. That was our, our little spiel. Uh, nice. Oops, hold on. Just, I'm just calling it up because we posted justonemorebook.com. We po- did a blog post when we wrapped it up. We had a huge following. We were uh, darlings of the publishing industry. We got box loads of books each week. Um, and it was kind of an exciting space to be in. And where it sounds it sounds like it would be a real exciting uh, venture, right? You can you guys deep dive into this, 
boxes of books come in every week, and you're just like, wow, look, look at this, another, another five, ten books added to the collection. But then also the podcaster mind starts saying, oh, my God, we've got possible 15, 20, 30 episodes lined up right here, and this is going to be great. We're going we're gonna to be able to run this thing for a while. Yeah. So we did 623 episodes total. We started in the summer of 2006, and we ended in uh, the spring, sorry, in the fall of 2009. In the final 18 months of our show, we served 1.3 million downloads in wow. 18 months. That's a, it was an average of 2,100 downloads per day. Incredible. And, uh, and then it says here, more than 2 million downloads since we launched in July 2006. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is, is not to gloat, but it's more to highlight the fact that when you started in the early days of podcasting, it was easy to build a large and dedicated following. I think it's much harder now because I don't want to say it's oversaturation, but there's definitely a large number of podcasters. Everybody can do it. Um, and so don't, don't do a podcast to get a massive audience. Do a podcast because you love doing it. You have something to say. You have something you want to share. And you'll build your own community, however large it is. Sometimes the and, – and other shows I've done, one, one show in particular I do, I don't promote. And I think I have – I've never checked the, the stats on it. But I wouldn't be surprised if I have like maybe a couple of dozen listeners tops. But it's a very engaged couple of dozen listeners. Is it the one with your name in it? Yes. Yeah, I, I, so I enjoy that one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it, it's one that I, I don't promote online just because I figure if people want to listen to it, they can ask uh, or they can find out somehow. So if somebody wanted to hear my ramblings about life in general and, uh, and observations and stuff like that, it's meant to be short, 10 minutes, and it usually is about 10 minutes. Uh, occasionally it goes a little bit longer. But... Um, that, that one is meant to be a little bit more deeply personal. And I think that that's ultimately, these days, really what people are drawn to. Um, there's definitely the, the slick production stuff that exists. One of the reasons why Just One More Book became popular, I think, and we used to get feedback like this all the time. And I remember specifically Vivian Vasquez sending a message to us once saying that she loves our show. We used to put put it out at 6 in the morning every 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 day that it came out. And it was out three or four times a week. So it would be published at six in the morning. And she said, as others did, they would wake up ahead of their family, make a cup of coffee, sit down at their kitchen table and listen to our show. And they would feel like they were in the coffee shop with us. Cause when we recorded, you know, you had all the ambient noise, the coffee shop using lapel mics. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. I love it. So it created atmosphere and it created community. And I think that, you know, when you create something that's a little bit too sterile, it people don't see themselves in that sterile environment. So having a little bit of texture and a little bit of grit, so whether that's ambient noise or something that's deeply personal to you, is the kind of stuff that gets people to lean in. Right. And I believe also you mentioned earlier about kind of creating this niche market for yourself. I think people really enjoy that, um, that texture and the ambient noise that you're talking about as just listening, feeling like they're listening to an in-person conversation. Yeah, I I think that that's very true. And there's a lot of situations. Todd used to tell a story about the fact that when he he worked at at the CBC, they would 
do everything in their power to create a pristine audio environment, and then they would fly things in and post, if right. if at all. Uh, and so, you know, he, he said that there's a lot to be said about creating, you know, just using the natural environment. Now, you want the audio quality to be decent. You want people to be heard. Um, and I think we managed to achieve it with that show. Uh, and that taught me a lot, actually, uh, doing it that way versus other podcasts where I would record in, in my own pristine environment. Right on. Okay, but that, that, I mean, that's still, we're still talking about things in, in your life that happened 13 years ago. Like, we, we're still at the beginning part of your game. So please go on. Like, so we're talking okay. like 2006-ish. So then what, what happened after that? Like, did you, did you have many dips in it? Because I do, know, I do know your name's on a couple podcasts. So I'm curious... What what because the market was kind of still very new and there wasn't a ton of podcasts out there. Were you looking to kind of branch yourself into different genres or look for different um, listenership? What what was it that kind of appealed to you after you had kind of achieved some success in in one genre of podcasting? Um, I don't know if I had aspirations to do stuff in in many multiple genres. Uh, you know, the, the children's book podcast was a great project that I did with my wife and that, and that made it a ton of fun. Canadian podcast buffet I did with Bob and that made that ton of fun. And then I had my own project. Uh, there was actually a couple of projects, but that I did on my own and that kind of uh, allowed me to do the stuff that I want to do. As I said, I produced it selfishly. I didn't care if anybody listened to it. If it wasn't something, and this is something Bob and I said about the conference, if it wasn't something we would pay to attend, if it wasn't something that we would go out of our way to listen to, why would we expect anybody else to? Having said that, it's important to know that uh, if you're interested in something and people go, well, why would anybody else be interested in it? There's going to be other people who have a common interest. You might not find them right away, but they will find you. Mm-hmm. And so don't be ashamed or, or feel like you don't have something to say that that's not worth sharing. So when I was doing the podcasting, this was all pure joy. This was just doing it for fun. And the excitement of doing something, you know, just one more book as an example, the excitement of doing something with my wife uh, made it easy and fun. The fact that there was people engaged with us made that easy and fun. So it was no problem Staying up after the kids went to bed till two in the morning, doing all the production. Whoops, I just spilled oh. my tea. Uh, doing all the production work that that needed but to be Glenn done in order to make okay the show though, right? work. Uh, yeah, I missed okay. my keyboard, but it hit my feet. Give me okay. two moments, and I'll be right back. I'm just gonna tell. Of course, no problem. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. That was an easy mess to clean up. Okay, good. I'm happy to hear that. You yeah. had me nervous that you spilled the Glenfiddich, but I'm happy to hear. Oh, no, no, no. The Glenfiddich is, 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 I have to reach specifically to get that. Okay, good. <laughs> the tea was in, in the path of my, my animated arm motions. Ah, you got a little, bit um, Itali- a little bit of Italian in you, do you, Mark? Quite possibly. All right, good. So, uh, so we were at, um, so yeah, staying up late and doing that, that, that was a joy. Canadian Podcast Buffet was something that we produced weekly. And putting in the time. Now, one of the things that we did with the, the buffet is we listened to all the Canadian podcasts. We wanted to know what was going on in the community so we could comment on it. 
um, and and mention people, and uh, and have basically have our finger on the pulse. It was easy for both of us, Bob and I, to listen to all the podcasts in the early days because there weren't as many. Like when we first started, there was like 130. Uh, it was a lot of listening, and back then we didn't have double speed. But it just meant you know when you were commuting, when you're doing you know when you're doing mundane tasks, you always had it on. There are certain things we did. We might skip songs um, just in order to get through things. By the time 2008 rolled around, there were already 400 podcasts. And so we split the list in two. And Bob was listening to half the list and I was listening to half the list. And I think there were probably some shows that we shared in common just because we both liked them. Um, and so doing all this uh, wasn't so much to make a name for myself as much as it was something I was enjoying. But I was using what I was doing as a showcase piece. And in 2007, I started to uh, do consulting work. I pitched a couple of companies that they should do their own podcasts, and they would hire me to do it. And I was able to use things like the Canadian Podcast Buffet and Just One More Book and Electric Sky as, as a portfolio of work. And I was able to showcase audio quality, I was able to show community, and I was able to show substance and, and you know, attractiveness. So I ended up getting contracts, doing stuff, and, and part of this was through the community, and part of it was just on my own initiative and with the demonstration. I was doing stuff with Microsoft, I was doing stuff with Bayer, I was doing stuff with Moss Adams in the States, with Tripwire. Um, and so I, I was able to build a bit of a, a practice. So people always talk about how do you monetize your podcast? You don't monetize your podcast. You use it as a showcase piece. You showcase your skills. Then you get the contract work. I probably made more money getting contracts and doing contracts um, based on my podcasting than I ever would have if I tried to sell advertising. Even in a show like Just One, um, One More Book, we specifically decided not to take advertising. Our fear was that if we took advertising from, say, Penguin Books uh, in September, you and you we didn't... Out. Well, it, it, our, our fear was if, if we did Penguin Books, and just by chance, we didn't review a book by Candlewick that month, you know, just because we didn't happen to pick it out of our pool, uh, would Can Candlewick have grounds to say, oh, Penguin shut us out? Right. And so we just decided we're just going to do this like public radio. It's We're doing this as a service. We're going to include everybody. We're not going to take money from anybody. We never did. Yeah. Uh, but I, th I think that I think that that's one of those qualities that that you build people's trust and listenership with. Absolutely, and people commented on that to us on many occasions. But people also approached us like crazy. I mean, if you have twenty one hundred downloads in a day, right? And that's just in one day, and not everybody goes and checks your site in in the single day. We are publishing episodes three to four times a week, so. You know, uh, I don't know exactly how many listeners we had overall, but you can extrapolate from that that we had a pretty large audience. We were getting well over 3,500 visits to our website every day, and then you had the podcast feed. So uh, if you start to figure out what the Venn diagram is, who knows how large our audience is, but I would venture to guess in the five figures. Wow. Uh, but it, yeah, again, so that was a long time ago. Think of that. It's so amazing Sorry? to think of that, though. Just, yeah. And just something you guys did, probably probably for a little nostalgia, but probably for like the love of literature and that, and then it just grows its rapid audience. 
it, it, it kind of all happened organically. And I think that that is also important. I think if you grow something small into something large over time, rather than just trying to, you know, what's a good word for it? Trying to cross the apex of a cliff right away. You're not necessarily going to keep people around, but if you grow one person at a time, two people at a time, and they stick around, that's how you actually make a movement. It, it, you know, there's a great TED talk actually about how to create a movement, and I'm trying to remember the name. I think it was Clay Shirky. No, it wasn't Clay Shirky who did it. It was a guy who started CD Baby. Anyways, uh, and it, it starts off with one person, then you know, four people, and then six people, and then pretty soon it's a thousand people or whatever. And I, I really think that that's the way you grow it. You grow it just by letting it grow on its own. And, and that's how we approached the buffet. That's how we pro- approached PAB. And it was really interesting because for each of these uh, seven installments, well, I guess the first six installments of PAB, Bob and I would get together and go camping in the summer and review what we did for the year with the buffet, review the outcome of, of PAB. And we would ask ourselves questions like, what else can we do? What's the next thing? Do we wrap it up now? You know, at, at what, how, how do we decide when to get out? And, uh, and it, it would be like each summer we would weigh whether it was worth carrying on or not. And we carried on for seven installments of the, the, uh, uh, of the conference and seven years of producing a podcast. Well, I guess for, for the first five years, it would have been every week. And for the last two years, it might've become a little bit more spotty. So I, I, I don't know if I've answered your question. I can't remember <laughs> what it was now, but it was fun to it's ramble. All, yeah, man. The, the ramble is good. The struggle is real. I like it. Okay. So did you, what you dipped in podcasting, um, did you ever stay true to anything or when you shut down the lounge or so the lounge had a seven year run? Is that what you just said? Well, so the lounge actually is kind of a separate entity. Okay. So the Canadian podcast buffet ran for, for seven years. We started in 2005. We wrapped up, um, we wrapped up actually uh, at the end of each of the, the, we pab the conference was in June. The, the buffet season would end the week after the conference. And then for the summer, we would publish the content from the conference. So we didn't produce new shows. We would just take the conference and put out one of the sessions from the conference each week. Um, and uh, now I'm trying to remember what your question was. See, I lost <laughs> well, myself here. When, when did you start to dip? Like, did you? Oh, when did we start to yeah. dip? Yeah. So, uh, you know, life, life got a little bit more hectic. Kids got a little bit older and, uh, you know, podcasting demanded a lot of time. And, uh, as your kids get older, you need to spend more time with them. They stay up later. So you don't have as much time in the evening. And, and so that was part of it. Um, and also I think you also get to a certain point where fatigue sets in. In the case of Just One More Book, for example, we had publishers who were telling us what we were going to do and how we were going to do it, and we didn't like that. As it turns out, we spoke to a New York Times children's book author, or, sorry, children's book reviewer. I think he did, reviewed all sorts of books, actually. And I, I told them that I, I felt, I, I really hated the fact that publishers thought that we were, because we were just a couple who were doing this, that they could push us around. He said, I have news for you. I get paid to do this for a living, and they tell me what I'm going to do, too, and I hate it. So uh, I was pleased to know that we were at least treated exactly the same as the New York Times book reviewers. 
Um, and, and so we, that kind of wore us down. Then, of course, with Andrew's diagnosis, and, and that probably contributed a little bit to some of the dips that followed. I mean, Andrew went through treatment for 10, uh, 10 months. I almost said 10 years. Andrew went through treatment for 10 months, and we kept up the show. But eventually, you just kind of, I wouldn't say you burn out, but you start to fatigue a bit. And uh, it caught up with us. We had uh, a, a really great conference in 2009. We moved to Ottawa from Kingston yeah, for our 2010 conference. In 2011, fatigue was, was starting to kick in a little bit. And then 2012, uh, the conference was also impacted by the fact that my uncle, that hero I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. was dying of pancreatic cancer. And, and I was just kind of, I think both Bob and I at that point were kind of like, you know what, we've taken this as far as we can. We've invested, we were spending hundreds of hours each year doing all this stuff for the community. And, and we just needed a break. And so we wrapped up the buffet, but we wrapped it up. We, we gave people notice. We said, you know, this is the last conference. This is the you know, last season, the buffet. So, because what we didn't want to have is, is I especially me, but we were both fans of the police, but I'm kind of a crazy fan about the police. And uh, when the police wrapped up in 84, they, they didn't really wrap up. They just kind of stopped. And so the fan community of the police was never satisfied because they never got closure. And that closure finally came in 2007, 2008 with their reunion tour. And they kind of made it clear that at the end of the tour, that's it. So uh, we, we agreed that what we needed to do is make sure people knew that this was coming to an end. So there was no question that when it was done, it was done and there was no coming back. Uh, if something, and Bob and I often talked about what we would do next and we never actually did anything, but we always had, we knew that there was going to be another project he and I were going to work on. And we just didn't know what that project was going to be. It was going to present itself at some point. And of course, you know, that's, that's not going to happen now because Bob died in 2016. So, um, but you know, that was an important part of this whole process as well. A lot of podcasts will pod fade and they'll just disappear. And there's this, I'll, I'll use that same expression, an itch the listening audience can't scratch. My wife did uh, a, a great TED, uh, well, almost like a TED Talk. It was a jolt at PodCamp, sorry, uh, PAB 2010. And I think it's called Contested Irrelevance. It's a five-minute, our jolts were five-minute lightning talks. And it was the first, well, it, it was probably the second time, but it was the first time a member of our community got a standing ovation, but a long standing ovation. And then people lined up to give Andrea hugs afterwards. Oh, and the whole awesome. premise of the talk, and it's on YouTube, the whole premise of, the, of, of, her, of her jolt was what you are producing online has meaning for other people. So when you are publishing your content, know that even if you think it, it's meaningless, for other people, it could be everything. And, uh, and it was in the context of, of our experience of listening to other people's podcasts and the feedback we were getting when we stopped Just One More Book. So uh, you know, it, it became kind of important to us to make sure that if there was an end, that it was, it was a defined end and it was a communicated end. So um, Podcast Lounge, so, so Buffet ended in 2012 uh, w- along with the conference. Podcast Lounge started up after Bob died, actually. It was a domain that it used to forward to my, my personal website, 
to a section that was really focused on podcasting. And uh, the Buffet website expired years ago and got picked up by somebody who's more, there's some robot that's using it to sell stuff, um, food related apparently, but it's, it's all, it's all like spam stuff. Anyways, so we couldn't use that domain anymore. Not, nor, not that I would because the buffet was Bob and me, and this is obviously not going to be Bob and me anymore. So I dusted off the podcastlounge.ca website, the URL, I still had it, and launched a podcast in 2000, I guess it might have been 2016, but it was 2017. It was after Bob died, and we decided we were going to have a reunion of the PAB community in Kingston um, in May of 2017. So Bruce Murray, one of Canada's early podcasters, uh, a celebrity in his own right, he and I uh, did a series of podcasts leading up to the reunion to try and build up momentum and and help people reconnect because it had been a long time since the community had really kind of gathered around uh, for an event. And then after the boat cruise was done, the podcast lounge just kind of went idle. The site's still there, but we didn't, we weren't, there was no plans to do anything further after that. Uh, Although I was in, I did, I I actually hired Bruce on contract to do some work with me for my employer last year. It's actually, it's coming up on on the one year anniversary of that. And May 5th, I'm going to publish the final recording that we did during that week. So I hired him and we we did a week road trip where, uh, and Bruce is a photographer. I hired him to do photography for us for a campaign that we were doing. And, uh, we had the best time. We stayed in Airbnbs. He, and we recorded a lot as we went. And so we kind of dusted off the podcast lounge CA website and published a series of podcasts that documented our, our road trip and recounting. We actually ended up in Charlottetown and we went to where the Formosa tea house was recorded. Um, the business that was there, the actual tea house doesn't exist anymore, but the building's still there. Um, anyway, so we, we parked uh, after that series was done again, it, it got parked. And then after PodCamp Toronto, I decided to use that URL to build up, uh, the, the podcast again as a tool for reconnecting the OGs to each other Yes, and bridging the distance between the newcomers and the OGs. Do you, do you like that title? The OGs? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think it offends me. I think it's kind of funny. You know, I, I thought it, it I, I thought it was old guard. I guess it's old gangsta. <laughs> original, I guess original they, they, they kind of original. mean the same thing. Original so. gangster. Yeah. So. Oh. All right. So, Mark, so I have some, some other questions. Like, I'm curious why, instead of having, like, um, like Mark's brand and then having podcasts spring from there, you've decided to go in, like, many different ways with your passions in podcasting. So did you, did you find it, A, was that on purpose? Did you want to keep them separate? And B, I guess what I'm trying to find out is, are these just um, worlds or universes, Mark's different universes that you don't want to cross? Like the old Seinfeld joke. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I, I don't know that I was afraid of them intersecting at all. But I kept them discreet because the audience that would care about the Just One More Book podcast, for example, is not necessarily the same audience that would care about Electric Sky or, well, the buffet is a bit of a different animal, I suppose, um, or the political 
stuff that I did because uh, in, in the work I do, I deal a lot with politics and public affairs. So I, I did a, a run of podcasts under the digital public affairs banner. Um, I, so I, I don't know that I was necessarily concerned about keeping them from each other. But what I did like is making each entity discreet so that if you were interested in the public affairs and politics side, you would go to that podcast. If you were interested in the children's book podcast, you would go to the other one. And if you were interested in both, you could subscribe to them both separately and, and you'd still get the content. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think that there are people who will share common interests across the board with you. But I really tried to separate them because the formats are different, the in intent is different, the audience is different, the way I would engage with the audience is different, mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it was kind of it was also a fun way to to go. I'm going to do this one this way, and I'm going to test my abilities and do this one this way. Right, kind of wear different hats too. Yeah, and okay. So did you ever cross pollinate with those pods? Um, I want to say that there was a couple of times that we took segments of an interview that we did for just one more book and I used it for electric sky. And I think we probably caught cross reference the episodes to each other. So if you listen to just one more book, there's a reference to the fact that if you want to hear more about Lee Edward Foti, there's a link in the show notes to a pod, uh, an interview with him on electric sky and then similarly, an electric sky would point back to just one more book. Um, so I did that a couple of times, but I, I don't know that we did any. I, I did anything specifically other than that. And one thing I've noticed um, is, and I don't know, maybe this is this is just you as kind of the entrepreneur podcaster, but I noticed that a lot of the reference point reference points of your podcast go to a website as opposed to something in social media. So I feel like your podcasting journey was kind of the ba the early baby steps of social media. Did you guys do a lot into social media or was your preference, we have the website, we can refer people to the website and then back to the pod and vice versa? Or did you guys, did you guys start opening up pages or groups for the podcast in social medias? So the website was, a, I mean, aside from the fact that it was the technology at the time, mm -hmm. um, it, it was a very pointed decision to do it that way and not use a service. I mean, I do use a service for the backend hosting of the episodes, but the intent was we wanted to have full and complete control of the content. We wanted to own the content and we didn't want to run into a situation, this has happened many times over the years, where a service that became popular, ran out of money, couldn't figure out a way to make money, and they shut down. And so people were scrambling to save their podcasts or save their blogs and move them somewhere else where people could still get them. So I've always done self-hosted uh, websites as the hub of everything, and social media is the spokes. So the spokes will point back to the, social, to, uh, the website, and the website might direct people to... I don't know. Uh, for just one more book, we never had a Facebook group or page. For the buffet and pab, we did, uh, and and that was a, a place for people to engage. In the case of pab, I think it was a private group. In the case of uh, Canadian Podcast Buffet, it was a public group. And the intent there 
was that there really was, as I noted earlier, the family you chose vibe at PAB. And we really wanted to keep that separate. So we didn't want to have a whole bunch of people who had never been to the conference starting to interact with us. Uh, it was it was intended to be an online extension of the in-person experience that we had every June. Right on. All right, my man, like, we're we're going into like the deep waters here. I appreciate your time. I want to keep this going a little bit more. I still want to scratch scratch the uh, surface a little bit more. Um, listening back uh, at the episode that we did uh, on on the podcast lounge, we really enjoyed ourselves, and we liked that. I li- really like that format of a sweet half hour, or what I like to call the sweet spot on someone's drive into work. But a lot of times, our form goes long. As for example, this podcast. Do you think there's a sweet spot for time on podcasts? Um, I think, I, I mean, I think I have my preferences of what a good length is. However, I've always said a podcast should be no longer than it needs to be. <laughs> and at least as long as it can be to communicate the idea. So, uh, you know, if, if you can go in and out in 10 minutes, Yeah. Don't keep people around filling their heads with fluff just because you can. Right. Um, So be mindful of your audience. And if your audience is you, go as long as you want. And there will be people who will stay along for the ride. But, uh, you know, if if you're all over the place and it's not interesting, it's not engaging, or it's, you know, the intent of the podcast to talk about music and in a one hour shot, you only spend five minutes actually talking about music then you're probably not going to be able to retain your audience. So, you know, keep it, keep it trim. And, uh, you know, I certainly, Electric Sky was forced 10 minutes. You know, I used to edit it very specifically to hit 10 minutes in and out. And I, I was able to build an audience around that. Just One More Book was kind of all over the place. And there were times that we tried to confine ourselves and it never worked. Um, the buffet typically was between 40 minutes and an hour each episode. So... Uh, it, you know, don't go longer than you need to, but uh, make sure that you at least capture your people's interest and get out before you lose them. Right on. Okay, uh, just bouncing around to PodCamp and kind of like the interactions that we had. I really enjoyed the time that you gave us, and I, w- I was a little bit shocked because going in there, never been there before, and realistically... Um, Everything was kind of shocking to me. Uh, the Canadian the Canadian community was that was all new to me, and because of that, I've actually built a couple new friendships or or have had a couple new friendships with fellow podcasters that I've always kind of looked for but didn't really know how to go about it. There are a couple of sports podcasts um, that I I've reached out to people on that, and it's kind of just a hey, thanks for listening reception. So to now actually have podcast friends is a really great feeling. And I've been bouncing ideas off of uh, Jacob, who you had on episode two, who I thought had like a killer interview. Like I thought you guys had this insane flow. I was so jealous of it. I thought it was like, it was, <laughs> I, I, I would have listened to an hour and a half of that easily because it was, it was so high energy and so nice. I really enjoyed it. But I also think, that's both your personalities put together. They get they, you guys gelled really well. Although I did miss Jess on that. I thought Jessica would have done a great job on that too. 
So uh, I'll let you in on a bit of a secret, by the way. Um, it, it was a fabulous and engaging interview, and I can't remember exactly how long it went on for, but uh, I cut it down to like what it was. Like it was about 20 minutes. Listening to it, I know what's missing, and Jacob probably knows what's missing, but it's edited in a way that it flows, so it doesn't seem like there's suddenly there's this big hole that was was cut out and and you know that there's you you jump suddenly from A to B and you don't know how you got there. Right. Uh, so yeah, it, it was I would say it was probably about a forty maybe it might have been a sixty minute interview I can't remember, but the end result was about twenty minutes. Yeah. So uh, I would have yeah. listened to that unedited. It just enjoyed flying the wall status. Just enjoyed that for sure. I, I thought it was good. I thought it was like really high energy. I've, I've well, really thanks. enjoyed it. Um, and I and I think Jacob too. Like Jacob is just a natural at it. Like he is such a great podcaster, and he's going to be wildly successful with these things because he's he's that good. I think he's a natural at it for sure. Um, but I've actually lost my train of thought of oh here there was okay I, I write these notes down but unfortunately my penmanship looks a lot like a foreign language so sometimes I can't figure out what exactly I'm right so what I wanted to get at was the reason that I ended up at PodCamp was because of, of um, the nomination for the award show but then I, I was kind of curious like you you were telling me that you were telling the story on your podcast about you and Bob even like scoffing at the ideas of even giving out certificates at something like that and I was just kind of curious like why like what like is is the notoriety like do you guys is that the notoriety not good or do you think like is that the wrong reason why people are podcasting I was curious to get your thoughts and just hoping to like open it up a little open up that can of worm worm a little bit can of worms a little bit there we go sorry the the orange nail is getting to me yeah um, (laughs) because uh I think like because of that for me I've met uh, I mean yourself uh, Jacob and Jazz, um, Tim Carr and uh, Todd Burgess, like it's people now that I communicate on a probably weekly basis with, and fellow podcasters who I feel like I can call friends now too. So I was curious, like, why do you, why did you guys feel that that wouldn't have been a, a fun thing to do, or maybe is it more like uh, the work doesn't reap the reward kind of thing? What what, what was it? I think there were a few reasons. One was. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be a lot of work. <laughs> fair. More, more work fair. than we were already putting in. Right. Uh, but that was probably small potatoes. We made a conscious decision when we created the buffet to not editorialize. We weren't there to say this is right. or that, Well, we, we, we would give advice, but never specific to a podcast. So we were th- never there to say this podcast sucks or, you know, this podcast is amazing. Uh when we listened, we would promote everybody. We, we didn't exclude anybody and we didn't say, you know what, this is not my cup of tea, but other people would like it. So we really stayed away from there and, and we really tried to be objective and just share, this is what's going on in the community. These are the people, this is what they're producing. And, and we featured everybody. We didn't turn anybody away. Um, I, you know, there, there's jokes about the fact that I've got, and Bob probably had, hard drives filled with interview, you know, comments that he and I made that never made it to the show that would have those editorial comments or, you know, we might roll our eyes about this, that, or the other thing, but you'd never know who it was about, uh, if you listen to the show, because we never let on. And we felt that if we ran the awards, that that was going to play into the editorializing hand. So, uh, organizing it was going to be too much work 
and we weren't going to be the ones to decide. There was talk at one point about Lifetime Achievement Awards, and we didn't even feel comfortable making that decision. Um, we kind of felt like that's something that the community decides, and if the community wants to recognize somebody, then then go for it. So the the decision was, if we're going to do anything, we're going to do it based on not not so much merit as much as just having achieved a certain goal. And the goal that we set was, we called it the Century Club. If you produced 100 episodes, we would announce the fact that you announced that on the show, and we would present a certificate to you when you came to PAB. And so we had these funny Century Club certificates that we'd hand out each year. Uh, and, and I guess there were fewer and fewer Century Club uh, inductees as the years progressed, because it was mostly the same people each year. There were some that came and went, but uh, but you know, by the time that happened, most people had already crossed that threshold. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll tie it back just to close the loop on Bob. Uh, there had long been pressure on us to do podcast awards and even to have Lifetime Achievement Awards. And I think part of it was Scarborough Dude, uh, who you may have met. Um, did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he was jonesing for one, I think half jokingly, uh, because that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, so it was when Bob died and when we did the reunion cruise, I decided unilaterally that he, he would get a Lifetime Achievement Award for his achievements in the community, both as a podcaster and a community builder. And so that's that's the only Lifetime Achievement Award. And that's the only award that I've given out uh, based on on the stuff that I was involved in. Uh, you know, I guess except for the fact that I was looped in to PodCamp Toronto to receive, on behalf of Bob, the award for Bob last year, and then this year to uh, to give it to Anthony. Um, I didn't make the decision as to who it went. I was just asked, here's the, here's the person, this is the way the voting went, would you be the one to present it? And I thought it would be a fitting thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it really, be, because because of those chain of events, it actually led me to wanting to talk to you and then everything that's happened between the two of our podcasts and ourselves since then, uh, which I believe I can call you a friend now, Mark. Uh, I, I do appreciate the feedback you've given me on the podcast and also the shrine on your podcast. That's always nice. Uh, but well, I, it, yeah, I, and I feel like um, that history, the history that, you, that you're, you've been part of and the history that you hold um, means a lot to you guys like myself who... I've been doing this now for three years, and I think we all know that there's not a ton of money to be made in Canadian podcasting, maybe right now, and I know like three years and thousands of arguments with my wife about it. <laughs> um, it's, still, it's still such a burning passion of mine, and I enjoy it, and, and that's why I'll do this as long as I want to, but I, I just feel like um, that um, industry, I guess you can call it the community notoriety, is really something special too. And I thought it was such a it was such a cool event, and I'm now I'm I'm looking forward to next year's PodCamp. I'm gonna book the time off work because unfortunately weekends suck for me. But I really wanna I wanna attend next year. I'm I'm all in. Like I'm I'm ready for it, and I'm looking forward to it for next year because because of how a how great it was, but how many new friends I've made because of that, new acquaintances, new podcast buddies I've made be, because of it. It's just it's blown my mind. It's it it, it was. It was really the podcast family, podcast community I was hoping for. Yeah, and, and there, when you and I spoke on Sunday, uh, I, I knew that the podcast lounge was the right thing to do 
because you had said that you'd attended a few sessions and there was like how to build your audience, how to make money. I, I can't remember which ones you, you actually saw, but you said, I just want to do my thing because I enjoy doing it and have whatever relationships un- evolve out of it. And that's exactly the ethos of what Bob and I set out to do. And, and I think that's in part why we didn't really pursue all the, you know, overseeing recognition. We'd also seen some other podcast awards efforts by the, the larger community. And, and we kind of thought it was, you know, it, it's always going to be, it's not so much that the cream rises to the top. It's just, it's the ones that are most known that are going to rise to the top. And so, um, I, I have to admit that the the awards, the Canadian Podcast Awards that took place this year did impact my thinking because if it wasn't for the awards, and this is one of the things I've tried to highlight in, in the Podcast Lounge, is the fact that I was wrong about Podcast Awards. Uh, it, I think it was the right thing for us to do to not do them for the reasons that we chose not to do them. But as as an instrument for getting people excited and getting people connected. If it wasn't for the podcast awards, you wouldn't have gone to PodCamp and we wouldn't have met. Jacob and Jessica wouldn't have gone to the podcast, gone to the evening event and the conference and we wouldn't have met. Um, and so if, if it's a magnet to get people interested or intrigued enough to check something out, then I guess it serves a higher purpose. I, I have to agree. Now, I, um, I I love it as as a way to bring people in and and build a community and that kind of uh, thing. But I was also I was also kind of curious about um, how do I phrase this? Maybe what what does this community feel about the the larger community? I mean, I I feel like there's a quite the divide when I um, I have a client who works for TSN. And she has a, a fairly popular podcast, and they're doing monster, these monster numbers because they belong to this huge entity. And and she, you know, for her, she's into it. But I know her success and her her financial gain is going to be there because there are ten or fifteen or twenty people working on making her podcast known. Where I'm working in, you know, a, a homemade studio. Off, off of like a, you know, a computer and maybe an iPad and something like that, and and I'm just pushing and pushing all the buttons and pulling all the strings back on on my back end, hoping for the best. And here's someone who's who has I I want to say like a little bit of a celebrity, and then going into this and just sitting down, hitting record, and and then going into it. So I'm I'm kind of a torn between those two worlds. How do you feel about those two worlds? Um, my answer might be obvious. I get my nourishment from the connection to other people. Um, and, and frankly, I don't think I can compete if I wanted to even with the NPRs and the PRXs and the TSNs and the Gimlets, right. uh, now SoundCloud, not SoundCloud. Is it SoundCloud that got bought, that bought them or whatever it was, Spotify, um, you know, I, I can't compete with them because they are better funded. They are better resourced. Uh, the people who do it are, I might be as talented as they are, possibly, but it's the job that they do. They do this eight hours a day. 
And so that's, you know, they will always be that much better than me. They will always have better tools that even if I'm a capable producer, they might have something that would nudge me out. Plus they have massive audiences and they have budgets to, to promote their content and the, the platforms they use to that audience. So I, I'm a happier person not even trying to, to reach out to them. The podcast lounge uh, to me is a huge success. I, you know, I, I put out episode one and Bill D's contacted me right away, excited about the fact that, uh, that, you know, he, he, about you and he wanted to, he sent me a text message saying, I'm going to go to Milton. I want to meet Anthony. <laughs> he's more than welcome. It, it, it's kind of boring, but he's more than welcome. You know what? And he'll do it. I'm sure he will. <laughs> Uh, he, he's a, a great community minded guy and, and I'm sure you got to learn a little bit about him through the, the post I did about the show and also the substance of our interview. So, um, I, I, I'm happier doing the stuff and I've had the success, I guess you could say through just one more book, uh, with the audience that we had and, and the fact that we were darlings for the children's book publishing industry at the time where the whole industry was tanking. And they were very dependent on us. They they would call us up and, and they would beg us to interview some of the biggest names. It's like we we didn't have to chase the names. The names came to us. And in the case of my public affairs and political stuff, I became a bit of a media darling. And, and that's you know, I was able to launch an entire consulting practice around um, the use of digital and public affairs and politics based on the content I was producing and it was on CTV all the time and CBC and the Globe and Mail. And, um, ultimately though, uh, I, I like to think of the fact that I'm podcasting to a single person. Um, I, I know it's, it's a bit cliche and people have, have talked about it. Uh, you know, um, Sheila Rogers, when she spoke at the first PAB talked about second person singular and that's how you address your audience. Um, and, and it became a bit of a joke in the community but there, I think there's some wisdom in that, and certainly it inspired me to try and either through my words or through the environment we created in our podcasting, make it feel like the person who's listening to the show is right here with us. The missive you'll often hear is that earbuds literally put your listener, sorry, literally, literally puts you in your listener's body, <laughs> right? Because it sits right in the ear canal. Yeah, You totally. are literally <laughs> invading this person's body. Um, uh, and so if you yell into the microphone or if, if the levels are all over the place and you're creating this complication for your audience, you're, you're ruining that whole experience. And so uh, I think that it's really important that to, to take in all these different things into account, know why you're doing it and enjoy doing it for those reasons so that you don't feel like a failure or that you, you have this ziggurat that you have to climb because somebody else said you had to because TSN is, is, you know, the competitor. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mark, I want to, I want to end this podcast, but I want to ask you one last question. But before that, I want to thank you so much for your time and I want to do this again. So this won't be the, hopefully this won't be the last time I I do want to do this again. Pick your brain. But my last question. It was a ton of fun. Thank you. Oh man. Pleasure's all mine. Here's my last question. And be as free and as open as you want with this one, man. Um, now I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually surprised you haven't cursed yet. Usually that's everybody's favorite thing. Or maybe that's me. I don't know. But <laughs> Well, I do uh, curse a lot. But for some reason or another, it hasn't happened tonight. All right. Um, Mark, 
What does being a podcaster mean to you? Uh, wow. How do I answer this concisely? Um, I guess probably that the most concise way to answer that is it means the family I chose. That's beautiful. Mark, I want to thank you so much for your time. That was, I can't ask for a better way to end this podcast. And it's, it's truly beautiful. Um, thank you again so much for your time. And well, thank you. I, I want to put in a plug for something really quickly. By of the course, way. please do. Uh, and it'll be announced in, uh, when the Podcast Lounge Episode 3 goes up tonight. There's a, uh, a database, Canadian podcast database, that we're going to build on podcastlounge.ca. Uh, but it depends on people submitting their podcasts. So if you go to podcastlounge.ca, there's a Canadian podcast database is linked there. Uh, and there's a big button, big green button on that page that says add your podcast. In fact, the add your podcast link is on every page. Um, and so if you go there, if you, if you are a podcaster, if you listen to podcasts and you know of other podcasters, let them know. So we're looking to try and build a comprehensive and, and complete list of Canadian podcasts, not just current, but all time. So anybody who might be listening to this, for example, who's podcast in the past and has let it die, but the site is still up and the episodes are still up. You can still add yourself to the database and we'll just flag you as pod faded, but people can still go and access the feed and, and the content. So uh, that's one of the things that we're going to try and do. We, we being me with the help of my wife who, uh, who coded the database for me. And uh, so that will be live later on tonight. By the time your episode goes out, it'll be ready to go. Right on. And, and, uh, and that's the po- the podcast lounge or podcast lounge? Just podcastlounge.ca. Okay. We'll also link that in the show notes as well. Cool. Thank you. No worries. And, and it'll also, selfishly, also, it'll help me identify people who I can listen to and interview for the show. All right. That I mean, that, I think that sounds fair. Um, all right, man. I've just added my. I just added the Not After Thirty podcast to it, and. Um, I'm on, the, I'm on your website right now. There's a very close photo of you and I think uh, Mr. D himself uh, at the Senators game. Yeah, that's, uh, so that was the most recent episode. Uh, Jay Muna will be up later on tonight. You'll learn more about him when that goes up. And, uh, and yeah, and that's, that's Bill. That's the guy who wants to come and see you in Milton. All right. I'll, I'll, anytime. Anytime he's ready. All right, my man. Well, this was well, fun, by the way. Thanks a million. This was it was great fun to chat with you. It was, it was kind of great to to relive the memories and and you asked some interesting questions that kind of caused me to to think about what things meant and, and why I did them. Uh, things that you know, and you also open up the an area of my brain I didn't realize <laughs> I still had that I still remembered things like cast blaster. Well, I'll tell you, man. You, uh, it, it was, it was just, it felt like I was listening to your podcast and, and that was great. And I, and I'm hoping that people listening, part of the nation that are listening, like, please check out Mark, Google him. Uh, you, you won't find a wiki page, but the podcast lounge and, um, of course your music based podcast, uh, Scott, sorry, what was it? S- Sky. Oh, electric, electric so electricsky.net so. is not actually a music based podcast, but I have interviewed some famous musicians, including Sonny Landreth and Stuart Copeland and Harry Manx. 
Uh, is there anybody else? Oh, Chris Patterson uh, from the Arrogant Worms. So there are definitely some music guests. Um, oh, and Jeffrey Campbell, who played with Sting, by the way. Right on. Um, the, uh, so, the, you know, they're all there, but there's, I also interviewed my dad, my cousin. Uh, I interviewed uh, some authors, uh, a music store owner. Uh, what else did I interview? Oh, a guy. Oh, actually, I forgot about this one. I interviewed a guy who's blind, who always wanted to be an astronaut. Oh. And uh, and so he ended up being a guest at uh, in in the VIP area at a launch in Cape Canaveral, and of course he can't see it, but he can hear it. And so I interviewed him about that experience. So uh, a lot of really cool opportunities to to speak to people. That is very cool. All right, man. Thank you so much, and everybody for listening. Thank you for downloading, tuning in, checking us out. This is the Not for Thirty podcast, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot. No problem, dude.